Well, hello everyone and welcome to another week on the X Factor Racing. I'm hosting today. Thanks y'all for having me do that this week. I'm Nancy and I am joined by three lovely ladies, Carson, Mary, and Sherry. Hi ladies, how are you today? Hello. Hello. How are you? Good. Well, let's get right into it. We had a really great week of racing at Pimlico. Um, Friday was the Black Eyed Susan, but before we get into that, I know I've always talked about this and I'm going to call this out, but Pizza Bianca did phenomenal on Friday. What a beautiful ride. I was at the Lowe's actually watching. I was screaming while buying flowers, so it was a little weird, but... (laughs) all good but it was it was just such a great ride to watch and Louis Saez did just a phenomenal job so really happy to see that I don't know if anybody else saw it or I think I heard that it was national pizza party day after yes. that so yes it's rather fitting that that happened on national pizza party day yes well, I was at a I was at a horse show this weekend. Uh, my daughter was competing, and I knew oh, that I was I was really hoping to get home in time for for uh, Pizza Bianca's race. Unfortunately, I missed it. Oh. but I watched the replay, and wow, wasn't wasn't it just beautiful? I mean, she she lost that last race, but you know, didn't come in first. But just this time, I was I was really blown away. I think she needed that first one too, and you know, just to even come back and keep that form that she had last year after winning at the Breeders' Cup. I think that is a testament to how much fun she's going to be going forward. Yeah, and what's really exciting, I was watching an interview from Bobby Flay right after, and um, he's thinking of sending her up to um, the UK for Royal Ascot. So if that it does, if that does happen. I'll be real excited to see what she can do out there, you know, like in the international world. That's it's cool when, you know, horses from here can go out there and conversely when, you know, you see international horses up here. So it'll be a good race to watch. Definitely. There's a lot of really great European horses competing out there as of recently too. Uh, I can't think of her name, but there's a, there's a horse that's like the purest white color I've ever seen, uh, who just ran a Breeders' Cup win in your end, but I believe the connection said they're not bringing her to the Breeders' Cup this year. That's so dashy, right? Yes. 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 Yeah, I watched that. It was pretty late at night, but just, just to watch that race too, that was that was quite something to something to see. But it doesn't seem like the connections really want to bring them over to any other place to race. <laughs> Except for the connections. And that's something that was a big topic, especially when you tuned of the Derby. And uh, hear about the connections. have to go to the Preakness. Uh, I guess there was a lot of um, conversation about that. I, I don't know. Like, um, do you feel that the whole cha- the, the whole shape of the race changed with Rich with Rich Strike not being the Preakness? Anyone? Yeah, I think you know. Honestly, there was a lot of hype that happened with Rich Strike winning. And I mean, it it was really cool to see what a phenomenon that, you know, a a horse like that could win. And I think everyone was real hyped up, new, um, new people that got into racing. I know at the office, because people know I'm really into it. They were asking me all these questions about, about the race. So I was kind of informing them. And then when people heard like, oh, Rich Strike wasn't in it, it almost like you kind of lost the momentum there. I kind of felt like just, just kind of from people I was talking to, I felt like the momentum for Preakness was lost. I mean, not for me, but just, I guess that general feeling. Yeah. I I think, I think when there's not a chance for triple crown, not even a hope or a shimmer of hope of that, I think it, it upsets people, but then the conversations surrounding the change of the schedule seemed a little fetch for me. 
I don't know. Like, I think it was kind of like, I understand it because it was such a, a long shot win on a grand stage. But at the end of the day, I, I didn't think it was that big a deal that they skipped it. I, if they feel that that's right for their horse and that was their plan all along, then I actually commend them for sticking to their plan. Now, I hear a lot of different things about that wasn't the plan. And, I mean, you know, you never really yeah. know what is what. But, yeah. you know, for myself, it didn't really take any luster out of the race. Epicenter and Secret Oath still went. And I think those were the, the, the ones that everybody wanted to see, right? I mean, of yeah. course, they won a triple crown and, you know, but at the end of the day, if they decided not to go, to me, they, they had a reason why they didn't want to go. So maybe I just kind of respect that they made that choice. And yeah. if, they, you know, they, if they're going to regret it down the road, then they're going to regret it down the road, right? Yeah, and I think, too, well, Rich Strike was supposed to be in it, and then it was a scratch. You know, he scratched out. And I think probably the initial plan was just enter, enter him into races just to see um, what he would get into and then took that decision to scratch out later. But yeah, I mean, for me, it didn't take away, um, you know, overall in the sense of like just watching the Preakness, um, you know, I real for personally, I really wanted like Epicenter to come back and, you know, kind of take it after not winning in, you know, the Derby. So that was kind of like my stance on it, but I then to watch Secret Oath too. And messed up my pick three. I was so bummed. I had Ethereal Road, um, Carl Tari, and then I was gonna, I was hopefully gonna have either Epicenter or Secret Oath, and never mind. No, it was, uh, I think early voting was really just really just good for this race. Pulled off a wonderful victory, and congrats to early voting on that and I, I think I think the withers proved to be a pretty good prep race because you had early voting who came in first and then Unoho was like also a football field behind early voting in that but went on to win the uh the rebel yeah so. I made a silly mistake there I was talking in our podcast I had actually mentioned early voting I was really looking forward to him and uh, thought that maybe he would be the one that could upset the apple cart per se. And, you know, as I kept looking throughout the week, I kept telling myself, maybe I'm just thinking a little bit too hard on it. And that, you know, I was, I was just trying to beat somebody who I think would go off as the favorite. And I really actually talked myself out of it. And so I was really, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and again, I never envisioned the trips either that Epicenter or Secret Oath were going to get. Uh, so I kind of watched that race with big confusion on my face. But at the end of the day, you know what? Early voting ran super well. I'm happy for him. He deserved the win. He won fair and square. And, and I think it was great for the connections. Yeah, I, I was surprised that epicenter was that far off the pace I wasn't expecting that in the Preakness but looking ahead I'm I'm concerned of the lack of a field there is for Belmont potentially for the Belmont stakes so I thought I thought eight would we have nine horses nine horses in the Preakness that's yeah like, that's it felt like a small field for one of the jewels of the Triple Crown. And I think, you know, in Belmont, I think it might even be smaller. What, what did you think of the, how the race unfolded, Carson? What, what were your feelings? Because I know that you were really high on simplification. And unfortunately, he ended up bleeding through that, as the trainer had mentioned, right? Yeah, I think that's what they said when they came back. Um, I haven't seen anything confirmed. Um, I thought the race was really well run. Well run. Can't say that. Can't say rear wheel drive either. Um, uh, everybody's trying to give uh, Joel Flack and Steve came down really hard after the race for 
guess he kind of got him blocked in for a couple strides there, but he came out of the gate clean. I think that uh, the, the race was ridden very well. It's just, you know, you had a fresh horse. I'm not sure what, why anybody thinks the result's going to be different when you have uh, four tired horses and a couple of fresh horses. Um, I don't know that Huel could have ridden him any better. Just wasn't his day. Um, and, you know, he's just bouncing back off of two weeks and a, you know, pretty grueling race. <clears throat> and he's three. So I right. think they're giving him an, they're giving an unfair shake and blame on the wrong entity there. So with that being said, do you think that the connections to, to, to not have strike participate, but do you think that was a wise choice? Um, I, you know, I can't, uh, Monday morning quarterback, everybody, uh, going back and watching. I think he could have won. Uh, it looked like early on the early speed just sort of set the pace for the race and that's who was winning. Uh, it would be like lone speed from the outside posts that were really taking it to everybody during the day. But then when the real road was able to close, um, on the shorter track, uh, I was pretty impressed. And I thought, you know, maybe if Rich Strike had gone, it could have closed right up there with uh, early voting. I, again, I, I've only seen a few of his workouts since the Derby. So uh, if they didn't feel it was a good fit for him, I'm sure they also had their reasons. And, um, you know, maybe they don't um, want to push him and they want to see what he can do in Belmont. But. That's kind of like what I was like. I don't think that it was Joel's fault. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. I think that it just, everybody was shocked because I, again, I wasn't home all day. I caught uh, Karatari's race and the Preakness, but my husband was watching during the day and I asked him how the track was playing. And he said it was really kind of favoring speed. And then Ethereal Road apparently closed from, I, I haven't watched the replay, but apparently he closed mm -hmm. like a train and blew the doors off the field, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it was just, that was another race that was just incredible. He just blew it out of the water. It was just crazy to watch. And I think, you know what, I think um, Epicenter was coming. He, it just, he was probably tired. Like you're right, early voting, wasn't tired. He had come in, rested and Epicenter just ran out of ground or maybe he just didn't have the punch that everybody thought he would have, right? Right. And yeah. I, I personally don't believe that going back to the Derby, I just don't think Rich Strike in any other situation could win. I really don't. I think the Derby was set up for something absolutely crazy to happen because of the wild pace set by summer is tomorrow. And I think all those horses were just tired of staying up on that. And they were all slowing down they were just out of fuel out of gas and i think the reason rich strike one is because he was decelerating the slowest so he was able to to add that extra punch at the end he was still coming down from that speed but i think he was just coming at a slower rate and the pace for the preakness was not fast it was not a fast pace for that so i don't know I just don't no. see that it's coming back. Yeah, and I think it, it's going back to that the conversation that I've, I've been seeing on Twitter and, you know, among people I've been talking to is, like, the timing of each race. I mean, two weeks is definitely a lot to expect out of a horse. Um, sometimes they can do it. Sometimes they can. I, I've seen horses where they come off of a race in nine days and you just, you can just tell that, you know, they're, they're great on the first time, but on the second um, race that nine days later, they just, they're, they're out of gas. They're really tired. I mean, it's, it's a lot out of them. So, you know, it's going back to that idea of should we move the timing of the races or not? And it, it's to give them a break kind of a thing. And I do think Zandon and Epicenter really ran hard in the Derby. Yeah, right. I think they did. I really do. I think they ran really hard and it, it's a big ask, but that's what the Triple Crown's all about, I guess, right? Right, yeah. Easy, so. It definitely is, and it's not like it's impossible. We've seen two horses 
in the last several years do that. Right. And how about the Black Eyed Susan? Oh, that was that was a great race. Not yeah. what I not what I expect. I wanted favor, but the idea for me, I was like kind of having the idea like, oh, who's gonna upset the favorite kind of thing? So that's why I had that favor as my pick, but um, it, it, I thought it was really great. Yeah, I, I watched the race as it kind of unfolded on TV. And as soon as it was incredible, all I can say is I yeah. don't, I didn't have that horse. Yeah. I, I did not have that. In, well, in- I was, I was thinking either favor or Luna Bell because Luna Bell had, you know, a bunch of wins. And so now at this race, it was the first loss after five consecutive wins. Um, and it, it, to me, it just looked like Luna Bell got outran. Um, so those are my two where I was like, oh, maybe, you know, Luna Bell or, or favor, but it, it didn't go that way, which was interesting. What were your thoughts, Carson, on Black Eyed Susan? Uh, well, I was big on Luna Bell. I've uh, always been a, a Maryland girl at heart and uh, really rooted for the hometown team, as it were. Um, I thought she was really primed for the race. Uh, unfortunately, I think the weather played into it, and she was also coming back off of Lasix. Um, early in her career, she had a start with Lasix, and then she was off, uh, but her last five wins were on, um, and they had taken her off for this race, of course. Uh, the triple crown or the triple tiara um, rules, I believe they don't want them to have it. I may be mistaken, <clears throat> um, but uh, I, she just didn't fire. Um, I don't think that the pace was too hot for her. She's a late runner. And I, I that jock that rode her has ridden her her last five wins. And I think he knows her well and knew not to push her. So she'll probably, I think, do well the rest of the year and in stakes company just maybe not created one stakes company or that level of, of stakes. But I think she's a nice mayor, or Philly, excuse me. Um, and I'm happy that uh, they took a chance and entered her. And keep in mind, ladies, that the, the winner is Canadian bread, right? So that's can- right. Go Canada. Canada. Yeah. They've been talking. <laughs> I, I saw a little article. I can't remember where because all my days are blurring together, but um, I believe that they're considering her for the Woodbine Oaks. So I I don't think she's ever ridden, I don't think she's ever raced on synthetic though. Like she didn't, she was Oaklawn and then, or Churchill Downs and then Oaklawn, I think. And then she raced against Nest, right? Yes. In the slop. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if they actually like, I hope they bring her up here. I, I would like to, I would like to see that. So um, just keep it in the back of your minds and I'll remind you on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm curious. I hope they send her. I really do. I hope they send her up here. Likely it would be either in theory that or the Alabama, right? That, that would be the next logical option for coming up on a summer debut or summer race debut. So yeah, I really like that race. I thought I think we'll see a lot of the a lot of those fillies come out of that. I hope. I I like races with the bigger fields and I hope hope we can continue bigger field type of races because I feel like a lot of states race states races haven't been huge recently. No, and you know what is just a reminder too is we're starting to get into our um, our turf season. I believe starts at the beginning of June, so we're just going to be starting to hit our um, our momentum, and that's the one thing that I like. You know, is once the the triple once the Belmont is over, like we've already started prepping our three year olds and and such, but our um, our, our Queen's Plate is in August. So we don't have to kind of compete with all of the Triple Crown stuff. Cause a lot of times our trainers, if they have a horse that they believe will produce well in the Kentucky Derby, then we don't get to see them here. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of nice that we're not caught up into that. And maybe some horses will get a, a breather. Mark Cassie's horses, especially, we see them quite often in the summertime. So 
it's it's going to be interesting for us once the Triple Crown stuff dies down exactly who kind of comes up here because we see a lot more of the Brad Cox horses and Graham Motion horses and so you know once the lull dies down then for us up here in Canada things start to pick up a little bit more so it's going to be interesting to see how many we actually see but I do think Saratoga is shaping up to be quite nice this summer as well so Carrie, what race are you looking most forward to at Woodbine? Oh, geez. You know what? I love the Woodbine Mile. That's one of my ultimate favorite days. And I think it's just because it's such a different feel to it. Um, the, the Queen's Plate is great. Woodbine Oaks is great. But the Woodbine Mile just has a completely different vibe to it. It's uh, strictly... You know, people come in from all over the place. It's a Breeders' Cup win and you're in. And the people who are there are genuinely there for the racing. It's not there for uh, the, the one time a year they go for the Queen's Plate per se. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that. I understand that people don't frequent the races all that often, but it's just a different competitive crowd that we get and usually that card is packed solid because a lot of people they don't send just one horse up for the woodbine mile they send some of their others like chad brown has sent many up here which is really neat and you know we don't get a chance to see a lot of his top a horses come up here sometimes so it's it's fun for us we get to really see the creme de la creme of some of the other trainers so but i i think we're gonna have a really good season and our weather's been fabulous, so the turf course should be ready. And we get the we get big fields, which is so much fun, right? So it's the betting fun. Absolutely. It's uh it's kind of interesting that you talked about people who are there for the races versus not there for the races. And I, I guess I'm interested in how you feel about it, for example. I went to Downs After Dark at Churchill Downs back in September of last year. And it got a little frustrating because people go up to the window and they take 20 years up there because they didn't know how to bet before, which is fine. People should be there to help them. But at the same time, you know, you can't be standing at the window for 20 minutes. You know, only have 25 minutes between races. You know what I mean? Have you run into that at all, Sherry, or anyone else who wants to chime in on that? Yeah, that was huge at Arlington Park last year, just because of all the, the hype with the Bears buying them. You could just tell, like, when the beginning of the season, there was a good group of people, but, like, toward the end, I mean, it was super packed every single time. So you saw a lot of, I guess I'd call it bandwagon fans or just folks that wanted to be there for the sake of, okay, Arlington Park's going to be closed forever because the Bears bought them out. But yeah, I mean, you try to like, you know, better put in your ticket and there's just lines at the windows or lines that, you know, the little, there's little betting boxes all around. And I'm like, all right, I'm just bet on my TVG app. But what I was trying to do every time I was going there is like getting a little ticket. It's like a little memory. Um, that's kind of what I was doing when I was going there, but people were taking too, too long, but. And I think that is one of the issues maybe that with those, with the big days that I don't really know that you can get around it because you want to have those, those people in because you want them to experience what you feel and what it, racing is actually all about. Now, I don't, I don't really know per se if that's the day to do it because it's so busy. Like it depends on what kind of crowd you're trying to bring in. Like, so for myself, when I'm bringing new people to the track, whether it be Sienna's friends, I've taken neighbors, I've taken lots of different people, but I try to take them on a day where I can actually spend time with them and explain things to them and, and not, and then they'll come back and then they'll go to the Queen's plate and they'll at least have a little bit more knowledge as to what's going on. But I, I find that, if I'm bringing people more often than not, I'm bringing them on a, on a different day just because they want to take in the atmosphere and they have a hundred million questions. And rightfully so. If you look at a program to somebody just starting, 
that's a lot of packed information, right? So oh, yeah. I, think, I think first and foremost is you want people to have fun. So instead of, because if they have fun, then they'll come back. If they have a frustrating experience, then they're not going to come back. And you have different personality types and you have different people, how they, they, their thoughts are on wagering. And so, you know, I kind of try to feel people out for the most part. And I bet, I, I bet on my app, I don't go to the wickets anymore. I've just gotten accustomed to that. So, you know, for, for other people or for, and, and HBI has actually got people on site here. So if people are going up trying to, to bet online, because we don't have that many tellers anymore, it's mostly automated. They do have quite a lot of staff around so that they'll help them with the machines. And, but I don't, I don't know if that will ever really get around that whole problem per se, if it's a problem. But as Nancy was saying, if she's just going on TVG just to better apps, isn't that going to take away from on-track handle? I mean, that it seems like in theory it would. Yeah, but would you want to have that bet or not? So I guess it's just the lesser of two evils, right? And if you're if you are a, a knowledgeable better, you know, and for myself, I do it on my app because I have a record. Right. I want to know what I bet, because if I didn't hit something, maybe I pressed the wrong button or, you know, tends to happen to me quite often because I'm old and get confused. So for myself, I like to know what I've kind of put in as opposed to if I'm going with like Sienna's friends or newbies or something, I'll take I'll take, you know, I shouldn't call them newbies. That's probably not appropriate, but new people, I will I will take them to the to the to the teller and I'll, I'll walk it through with them but for the most part you know I, I don't have a paper ticket very often sherry if i'm going on the track now i'm still a newbie <laughs> <laughs> i'm still calling myself a newbie yeah i always call myself a newbie too mostly because i try new bets because sometimes my other ones don't work <laughs> I hear it's good luck. I will say the other um, benefit to the uh, online betting or off-track betting programs is uh, a lot of times it'll remind me, remind me <coughs> or at least TVG does. Shout out to TVG since I bashed them so hard at Derby Day. Um, that they'll, it'll say, hey, a horse that you've bet on and won with before is running today here. Um, and I like to see well, made some money on this horse before or it'll remind me of who they were running against in a prior race or what type of race that was and maybe give them a look and whatever they've been entered in for that day too i love that idea i wish we had that know. oh i didn't know that about tvg see we only have one option here right and i think and i think this is going to be a little bit unfortunate part of covid as well another one is that you can bet on track. So you they pushed everybody to open up the HPI accounts or to push the ADWs and everything, right? Well, now that people have gotten used to it, why, why bother going back? Because they don't have to stand in a line and they don't have to, you know, if you have somebody in the stands betting on their phone, at least you have somebody still in the stands, right? as opposed to being frustrated waiting in line to get a bet in. And I mean, there's always going to be people that that take their time or they do all their bets at once. That's what I did when I first started going to different tracks. The first Breeders' Cup I went to at Churchill Downs, I went in and I put my $2 win play show on every bet that I wanted for like the whole 12 races. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to make sure I didn't get shut out. So that's what I did. And there was nobody behind me, but you know what I mean? Like certain people have certain logics, how they want to do certain things. Maybe that's their winning formula. Maybe they just want to make sure that the bets get in and they can check their tickets or hold their tickets. We don't really know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I tend to wait. I'm the person who I used to like bet in between because I would wait for the scratches. But then again, if I wanted my little keepsake ticket, cause I'm old school, then I'd, stuff for waiting in the line so 
it's like which one do you want to do i always ended up waiting in line that's okay and those keepsakes are great i've got one from from teppin when teppin won the woodbine mile here you know like it'll it's all a matter of what you want i took a couple of my friends last summer to the track and they wanted a little keepsake of their winning ticket and for some reason it just wasn't clearing with my head of what they were trying to say they're like oh my god i i won and i they wanted to keep the winning ticket so when you give it to the teller they you know ate the ticket up and they got their money and they were so confused and i'm like i didn't even put two and two together that you actually wanted the winning ticket because they cashed it you know well, think of it this way, right? Imagine if somebody did put $2 win place show. It was their first Kentucky Derby and they put $2 across on Rich Strike. What do you do with the ticket? Do you keep the ticket or do you cash in the ticket, right? Take a photo. The photo will last forever and so, but the money won't. Exactly. So, you know what? This is, it, but interesting, it's interesting when you think about it, right? Like if you, if you just say, oh, okay, well, it's my first Kentucky Derby. I'm going to bet the longest shot on the board, which probably a lot of people did, right? Which brings us to another thing. Were the odds in the Preakness skewed because everybody was looking for a long shot? Oh, yeah. I mean, those, those prices were just, I couldn't even believe it. I was kind of expecting, you know, like a 45 to 1, a 60 to 1 price or a 70 to 1 price. And then you know, the board was changing throughout, you know, throughout the day. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I, I think really what happened is it was kind of what I was, I've been reading about, which is the rich strike effect. And I think that holds true is people are thinking, well, the favorite is not going to do it this time. Let's, let's bet on the, um, you know, the, the one that's probably, that's going to upset the favorite or the longest shot. And that one's going to win. So all the money pulled into these longest shots like Happy Jack and Fenwick. And then you saw all the results of the pricing, which kind of skewed um, what we were looking to expect. So here's the positive takeaway that I have from that. People paid attention to what happened and they bet accordingly. Isn't that a good thing? Yeah, you know, to that point too, because a lot of times, you know, people just, don't even think about it and go, oh, okay, the favorite, let me bet on that. And I think, you know, to that point too, Sherry, it's, well, okay, let's, let's not just have a mindless bet. Let's, let's think about really who's going to be, you know, winning this time. How's it going to work out? And I, I think that that's a really good point to bring up. Carson, how did you think of pricing and kind of how all that played out? Um, well, I think it was a combination effect. Um, is my sound still connected? Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, sorry. It's not uh, registering on my end. Apologies. Um, combination effect of a lot of local bets, um, not even just the local horse, but like Fenwick, for example, probably really had no business being out there. What did he finish 40 lengths behind? Um, even going into the last turn, he was so far behind. And I hope he just wasn't overfaced and got his feelings crushed. But um, Finwick Inn is a pretty popular hotel in Ocean City. Uh, so I think a, a lot of it is just like name recognition. Um, I think if you went around and looked at the looked for the longest shot for the last race of the day, and it was a pretty busy day at the track, and you just kept dropping that name, people would say, oh, I heard that name before. I heard that name before. And then... They just put money on it because you thought you heard it before. You don't know why, but, um, and so I think that had a little bit of a combination effect. And then certainly the, the long strike, everybody was hoping for a, a jackpot ticket. And then Armagnac went off the longest, uh, I think 18 to one or something silly. And this morning line was nine to one, 10 to one, I can't remember. Yeah, I thought it was interesting, actually, when I looked at the board. And again, like, I didn't see it change all throughout the day and stuff. But I was wondering, like, okay, well, maybe the people that won money off Rich Strike kind of parlayed into the Preakness. Like, maybe that actually did capture some new 
interest because hey if you if the first time you play the races and you hit a ticket big right why not take another chance i mean if they if if they had a good payout what's another couple bucks across on a long shot in the preakness that's kind of what my mentality was and hoping that hey maybe and and again everybody probably thought the race might fall apart too right I felt like there was no other horse out there, like somewhere tomorrow to, to make the pace go, you know, extraordinarily fast and have something fall apart the way that it did in the Derby. So for the people who are truly like following how things are going, I felt, I mean, at one point Fenwick was down to like seven to one and maybe the third or fourth choice on the board, which was unrealistic. I think it was unrealistic. And I don't think, I think the people that were betting on him were people betting early who are people that weren't necessarily following and, you know, they might've won big and they were just throwing their money on the laundry shop, which was the morning line of 50 to one with Fenwick. Right. And I guess that's kind of the other part of it, right? But that's at least the way I looked at it was, is at least that there's interest in it. Like, because there was so much chatter prior about, well, Rich Strike not going, it's not gonna have the same feel to it or popularity. And I, I, I don't know if that was necessarily the case. I, I still think that it was, it was a good race. And I, I think that, you know, it ended, up, it ended up being a little bit of a surprise because I think a lot of people wanted the Philly and, and a secret oath, I mean, again, I, I think she's a really nice horse and she was making the quick turnaround too. But, you know, she brought a whole new dynamic to that. And I think that she captured a whole bunch of new viewers as well, just because there was so much talk about her going into it, right? So I think that, I think she was actually a really good addition. Was it, was it a, a tall task for her? Absolutely. But I was glad that they took a shot with her in there. And, you know, I think too, a lot of females would have bet her because I know a lot of ladies do that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I used her in, my, in the mix of things because I thought, you know what? Like it was a perfect distance and everything for her, right? But it All just, right. the trip didn't pan out for her. It just, it was a tall task on a short, on short rest because she ran really big in the Oaks too. And, and she, she's going to be fun to, like I said, I'm looking forward to watching her and Nest and all those other lovely ladies. Echo Zulu, I'm looking forward to them renewing everything later on in the summer because I think they're a very, very talented bunch. But I do like that she ran in the Preakness. I think that really added an element that maybe everybody thought was missing with Rich Strike not being there. What do we think about... Nest potentially entering the Belmont Stakes. You know what? That's right. I forgot about that. There was mention. Yes. Yeah, it's um, it, I believe Probables or Nest, Modonegal, Skippy Longstocking. That'll be an interesting one as well. And Creative Minister. Well, I know Carson's a big Nest fan too. I got to think about this one with Nest a little bit. But she's going to be rested coming in. Yeah, this is, uh, I kind of made a post on Twitter the other day about her probably getting in trouble and not allowed at Belmont uh, because the local boy is, he has done this before. Uh, he just, it's the, the Belmont is on his bucket list, his life bucket list. He just wants to win this uh, leg of the Triple Crown so badly. And he's entered some horses that uh, I feel like he's like pairing entries. Um, which is funny because he accused another trainer of doing just that before. <laughs> so I feel like that's a lot to ask. That's a really big ask for her. Um, and I know that she is part of a, a, a I guess, a co-ownership. She was part of the Eclipse TV syndicate. I'm not sure if they were bought out. Um, so he must have the, I guess, majority rule on the decision-making for the entries. But uh, I think it's too much for her. I, I really don't like that spot for her to be honest is it, um, it's micropoly correct yeah repole yeah the Oba, repole. and i think eclipse right eclipse turban 
Well, so I they I know they were um, part owners and they are a syndicate, but when they were listing the owners um, in the article, they didn't list Eclipse. They listed uh, somebody else. Uh, I can't recall now, um, but I have it linked on my, my Twitter for the, the article. Um, and maybe I misread. Uh, I actually know, met one of the owners when she ran at Tampa. Uh, they live in Saratoga. Um, and I know they think very highly of her, and I think she is a very classy filly, and I don't think that Todd would enter her if she were just going to get run up the track, but um, just find the placing curious. Yeah, I, I'm not really sure what I think about it, because I, I, I don't know sometimes if they're just throwing an idea out there. You know, like, I mean, rags to riches was rags to riches, right? And I don't know if maybe that's the form, like format they're trying to replicate. I'm not really sure, but I think I think there's a lot of time between now and then. Um, it's it's interesting. I think that's how I feel about it. It's interesting, and I think that you know. We'll see how the race shapes up and see if she actually does get put in there or not. But it's interesting. I I, I don't really know what to quite make of it. How about you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like I don't I don't really know. I don't know if it's because there's a female in it. You know, because they put secret oath in the. And I hate to think that there's actually something behind it, and it's not just the talent of the mm. the filly that they're doing it on, right? I just, yeah, I agree with your word choice. I was sort of giggling at myself because I said curious and that was just the nicest thing I could think of to say about the, the questionable or probable entry there. So that was it. <laughs> well, we'll see. I guess we'll discuss that once we see the Belmont entries, right? <laughs> yeah, we will. And I think those come out, I want to say the 7th. So I think the draw for that is on a Tuesday. It'll be a, it'll be interesting. And I think looking forward to June 11th, not only do we have the Belmont States, we have a fabulous undercard for the Belmont States. I think racing that weekend in Belmont is going to be incredible, including the Met Mile, which you have three potential horses to just knock you out of the park. You have potentially Flightline, Speaker's Corner, Jack Christopher. Wow. I mean, those are possibles for the Met Mile. I think Jack Christopher is going to be pretty interesting this year. I love Jack Christopher. I think if he didn't have that injury, he would have been put on a derby trail and, and been a contender. I think that horse is extremely talented just based on his uh, champagne derby performance last fall. Yeah, between him and Juju's map, those are the two that have kind of really, that didn't race in the Breeders' Cup, right? Um, Jack, or Juju's map did race in the Breeders' Cup. I think she was. She came second behind Ikozulu, right? Yes. Yeah. And just couldn't keep up with her. Ikozulu was just too fast as that two-year-old. And Ikozulu will now go to one-turn races. She's not a two-turn horse. So, you know, those races will be out of the picture. But I think... Once they find their areas that they can succeed, it'll be wonderful. And yeah, Juju's map and Jack Christopher both raced under the Derby undercard. So there's some some serious racing going on and some seriously talented horses. And unfortunately, just a lot of injury has kept kept that from blossoming the way that it could. You know, there were certain things with Flightline being injured and waiting it out. And, you know, we don't know how many races Flightline has left before they retire him because he takes these wide layoffs in between his races for the best part of the horse, you know, just to keep him healthy and, and sound. But I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. So do we think that summer racing coming up like with Belmont in the next couple of weeks and Saratoga and everything, do you think we're going to see the bigger fields starting to assimilate? Is that the, even the right word? <laughs> yeah. Right? 
We seem to be, and, and I mean, Kentucky Derby was great. Like there was full field and everything like that. But, you know, Mary had touched on it. Like it seems like our state's entries seem to be rather light. Mm. Yeah, might... and there's usually a heavy favorite in them. I, I remember I brought one of my friends for the very first time, his first time at the track, the Saratoga last summer. It was, it was July 24th and it was Coaching Club American Oats Day. And... I think Maracuja was back down to like one to five, one to nine, something around that. Or did I say Maracuja? I meant Malathot. If I said otherwise, I'm sorry. Malathot, who was the Oats winner last year, was back down one to five, one to nine, or something like that. And Maracuja had the upset, but it was like a five horse field. So, I mean, Malathot was the likely winner in that race, I thought. And no one's going to bet on a five horse field with a favorite being bet down that much. I mean, it's just not logical as far as vertical betting is. Right. So do we think, do we, do we have any reasoning why we think that this is starting to be an issue? Do we think injury? Do we think more time off in between races? Like what is everybody's feeling? Because like I said, you know what, it seems to be another big topic of discussion out there. Like, the big race days only seem to have, you know, five, six horse fields. And then if you have somebody scratch and then, you know, just sometimes these big cards not become playable because of that. Like that's my, my personal opinion. I'm kind of finding sometimes like you almost have to pick and choose and you have to pick and choose anyway, but when you get like, I think the pick four paid $60 Preakness day, 60, 60 yeah. bucks, something like that, right? Like a that $2 sounds about right. A $2 pick four. I'm pretty sure it was like a $2 pick four. Paid that. I could play $1 here. But yeah, like I think it was, you know what I mean? So I think that kind of could be also a deterrent for some people in the game too that are maybe a little bit more season betters, right? Yeah. I you know, like I found the Black Eyed Susan day was the day to make more more spend more bankroll into the to the betting. Unfortunately, I didn't get it, but <laughs> I didn't hit, but you know what I mean? Like I think I think when we see those fields, a lot of people watch instead of actually play. Right? Yeah, I mean, when I when I was looking at my pick three on Preakness Day, it was like, what did I do? Like a yeah, I did like a fifty cent, and if um, Epicenter would have won, it would have gotten like nine dollars on the pick three, and then if uh, Secret Oath would have won, it would have got like twenty bucks, and like well, that's not a lot, but it was kind of one of those things where it's like, where is the like pick threes and pick fives like that's where you make like a lot you can make like a lot of money on a good bet and that's that's what I didn't see on that day which was a little disappointing it didn't again take away from you know actually watching the races but you know that's that's the whole fun of it right is the actual like having a pick three or a pick five so but maybe that's why too there's those skewed prices in some races because everybody's trying to beat the chalk and so you know like they're they're I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out what everybody else feels like in their wagering strategy. If it's a deterrent when you see so much chalk, or do you take a look at your tickets and structure them a little bit differently? Trying to, trying to at least make your ticket worth something. You know, like I know a lot of people when they see chalk, they'll bet a $5 pick for chalk, chalk, chalk and all, or you know what I mean? Like for myself, I didn't, I would just take one favorite, one price. Right. And I want to keep the cost down because if I, if I, if I don't keep the cost down, then I'm basically. You're losing money on that. Yeah, right. And my granny and I have talked about that in the last several weeks of our, our bets and stuff. And the philosophy that he has that I've kind of adopted and certain pit threes that I've structured over the last couple of weeks is if you're not going to single the chalk, toss it you obviously don't have enough faith in the chalk to deliver. So find a price. 
And then it gives you room to spread in places that you feel like there could be a price. But you have to have enough faith in the chalk to deliver and be confident enough. And if you are, there's no reason to add any other horses to it. Right. But like, so look at the Preakness card where it was chalk, 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 and then five to one. So what do you do? Do you increase your, the wager, like the amount you bet on your pick three? I'm just curious, like, because I think, you know, what a lot of people that when with our wagers, they might be curious as to, okay, well, how do you structure your bets? And if you see favorites winning all the time? I guess it's hard to do if you're creating, if you're handicapping a card before the card even starts, you don't know that Kimlico is favoring early speed for the rest of the day. Right. And without that knowledge, you're going to bet whatever you've seen in replays, in PPs, in anything like that. So you, you have no opportunity to really look at how the track is playing that day. So as far as structuring the bets goes, I think the it depends on the cost. If you feel like there's an opportunity to up the price of the bet and your spread low, then you pull up a ticket that's, I don't know, $4. Let's put, it's a $1 pick three and it costs $4. You can make it a $5 pick three and make it $20. Right. So you're, you're upping that because your ticket price itself, as it stands on a standard bet, is relatively low. See, and that's something that I tend to do after these big cards, right? Because a lot of times I do so much work prior and then you have to adapt as the track conditions change throughout the card or if you have scratches or whatever else, right? So with me being not fully present because I had mom obligations that day, I didn't pay as much attention as I should have. And I put in a pick four and yeah, you know what? I kept it cheap because I I was I was gonna single epicenter and I'd back myself up on a pick three using epicenter and secret oak. Whereas really at the end of the day, if I would have stuck to my early gut pick and just put like 50 bucks on early voting, I'd have been way ahead of the game. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, so sometimes I guess you know what. When, when you overthink things too much, which I think that I did. And that was just, again, in anticipation because I knew I wasn't going to be able to watch, right? That I kind of backed myself into a corner. Right. But you're- And that's a good yeah. point. Go ahead, Nancy. Oh, I was going to say sometimes like I'm, I was looking at uh, people the way people do their ticket structure um, you know they'll go three or four deep and then that by that time you know they're spending you know like 50 bucks or whatever it is on their you know their bets and sometimes I kind of like those moments where I do a cheap ticket that turns out really nicely I get I get a good pay out of it but I guess it's all about how you're strategizing on your on your pick three or you know pick five what do you ladies typically do for ticket structures? I just want to say like, because you know, everybody's so worried about ticket structure and it's such a big topic of conversation on social media about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and what's most effective and stuff. And I think that can be really confusing for a lot of people that really want to actually try to get into these types of bets. It can be a little bit nerve wracking and I think honestly, the only way you really learn is to probably put in some tickets that maybe you spend too much money on and so that, or that you spend too lease on. Like, I mean, it's all gonna, it all has to adapt to what you see in the card for that day too. I don't think there's really one set structure that works every single time, right? Right, and I think, first of all, I've social media has had so many positive effects, but way too many negative effects. And one of them is just criticizing each other. So we have some of the best handicappers on Twitter who get so much hate and it's comments like, Oh, your ticket structure is terrible. 
Well, tell me what that means to you. Let's let's dive into this and let's be, make this constructive as opposed to insulting or derogatory or anything like that. So there was someone who reached out to me in one of my bets that I posted and said, you know, the handicapping was on, on there, but the ticket structure could use work and here's how. And I think we should do a better job as, you know, people on Twitter, on horse racing Twitter, to be able to reach out and say, hey, well, you can improve ticket structure by doing this because we're all learning more and more every day, no matter how experienced or lack thereof we have. Yeah, personally for me, I, I love seeing what other people do. It helps me to learn as I'm a pretty, I, I'd say newbie, rookie, whatever you want to call it. And I like to see how other people do it. And I like to learn from others. That's kind of how my stance is. But in, in no way, shape or form, you, anybody should be criticizing another because you almost want to go back and say like, hey, chief, how have you been doing on your on your picks and stuff? So, no, that, that's a good point, Mary. But like for me, I, I like looking at what other people are doing for for learning and you know I like to adapt and you know kind of evolve the strategy I think that's there's a lot of that too when you're you know placing bets like that but isn't part of it too we all see different things so I don't think there's any one perfect ticket structure and then yeah I always go with it I might see something completely different than what Mary sees to what Carson sees and, and that's why I like having conversations and why I like doing stuff like this, because, you know, it's that forum where we can all say, and I love it that you guys bring up things that I would never even look at. And I think it's great oh, yeah. because this is how you get better. And this is how you improve your handicapping, your ticket structure, not by somebody calling you out or, you know, and I mean, that's obviously one of the repercussions of being on social media is you put yourself out there for criticism just as much as you put yourself out there for positive feedback. But at the end of the day, we're only going to get better if we listen to each other and take what each other is saying and take that criticism and, and, and rework our own strategies. I don't know anybody that hits constantly every single ticket. No. And no. That, that's not going to happen because everyone has off days and it's not even just about the betters, it's about the horses. We're betting, on, we're betting on horses to perform the exact same way that they've run for their past performances. And that's not always going to be the case. You can have a horse, you know, four for four in their career. And at some point you might lose. You never know what well, day it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, like look at this past weekend, look at Lunabelle, five consecutive wins and then, you would have thought, okay, logically speaking, you would have thought, you know, past performance did phenomenal, would probably win again, but no. Well, and That's I think just... suddenly that too, like psychologically for me, I know if I single a horse, it's not going to win. <laughs> yeah, right. Unless, unless it's Pizza Bianca. Yes, I was going to say, <laughs> I was right there. I was like, unless it's Pizza Bianca. That's no, my know. girl. <laughs> but you know what yeah. I mean? Like that, You're right. When you have those solid feelings about a horse right but just because you have those feelings it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to pan out all the time right mm -hmm. but I guess you know because there's just so much talk about you know chalk fest and chalk this and chalk that I just kind of wanted to have a little discussion on you know ways that people structure tickets and just say hey you know what sometimes there are those days and then sometimes there's the rich strike days where you get you know, the 80 to one shot come in. And, and there was a couple like um, Interstate Daydream paid fantastic. Yeah. And the Daily Double with the Black Eyed Susan and the Preakness paid over $100. So there are ways that, you know, you can actually have profitable wagering. It's just a matter of what you're comfortable doing and how you see it, I guess, right? Yeah. And we... One thing that I hate is when people criticize each other for the amount of it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. No. no, it doesn't. And it shouldn't. No, it doesn't matter. You don't have to spend a lot of money to, to play. And that's, that's the one thing that I stress to people, especially new people that I bring out or people that I'm trying to get familiar with the game. It's not, it doesn't have to be this big 
gambling mentality. I'm gambling. You can go with $20. And here we don't pay to get in at Woodbine. You can come with zero and you can just sit in the stands and watch the horses all day. It does not have to be this big pressure filled day. You can just sit and enjoy it. And it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter what you bet. It just matters that you have some fun and watch some horses compete. Yeah, and I've I've done that oftentimes when I went to Arlington and Hawthorne. Shout out Chicago's hometown track now, but I would just sit there and just you know watch it for the day and um, just enjoy. I guess for me, as I've said before, is just the magic of being at the track. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's just like a fun day you can have. You don't if you win money, cool. If you don't, if you don't want to bet, that's fine. And I think too, because now we're actually being allowed out and we can do things, whereas before we couldn't really do a lot. And I, a lot of people really did get into racing because it was one of the few things still running through COVID. But it's nice that you can actually take them to the track now and they can see it live. And I find that once I can get people there, they have so much fun. Yeah. I want to know what the difference is, though, between you see these photos I, I just saw one recently and it was a little uh, a, a child that saw a horse and the connection you could see in their eyes between the child and the horse was just everyone was saying you just made a lifelong fan and I want to say it was right after the derby I just saw that this photo where someone said that on Twitter but you know a child in theory can't bet on a race right so yeah going to grow up they're going to be a fan of horse racing. They have to wait until they're 18. At, at least it's 18 here. I don't know what it is in Canada, Sherry, if it's 14 or 16 or 18. Oh, no. It's 18. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if it was different because, uh, no, never mind. I'm, I'm mistaken. I didn't know. I'm, I'm bad with keeping track of age of this and age oh, of that. I know it's different. It's different everywhere. But, but I can tell you, like, I took Sienna and her friend last year, and both of them uh, have rode horses. And it was her friend's first time, and they had a ball. And they just, like, I taught them to read the program, and, you know, but they just, they like just being there to begin with. I got a text from this girl's father saying that she had so much fun that the next time that they come into the city, because they don't live here, they're going to go as a family because oh. they want to see what she had, what she was talking about for so long. Like she, she thoroughly enjoyed herself and they're going to take the grandma. They're going to take, they're going to take the whole family. And so I thought that was really cool. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, because it's, it was just one afternoon that the girls were bored. So I'm like, get in the car, let's go. And it was basically, they just, they wanted to learn the program and they, they were just happy to be there and do something different. And they enjoyed it so much that, you know, they're going to be repeat people. And that doesn't happen all the time, but it was really nice to get that text saying, Hey, you know what? I want to thank you for taking her because now she said it's a must thing that we have to do for the family. Definitely. Right. So yeah, I, I love that. Well, one thing we, I am, as we all are excited to announce, we're going to start up our women's league, our X factor racing head to head women's handicapping league. Um, I know we're all real excited about it and we'll have our very own Gorgonzola running it. So that'll be really interesting. Um, ladies, uh, how, how stoked are you about this? I think it'll be great. I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, I didn't play a lot of head to head before, so it's kind of like a new thing for me. And I think it's always a great way to help improve my handicapping. So uh, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm looking forward to meeting some other ladies as well. Yeah, I'm just more getting into handicapping and whatnot. And I think it will be a lot of fun. And I think as, as women who love horse racing, we just need to support and love and everything, you know, for other women in the industry. 
Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm really looking forward to um, meeting more ladies that are involved. And, you know, for, for me, it's how I got to the good fortune of meeting all of you. So um, it's one of those things where you can build a you know lifelong connection. So really excited about it. And I think we're starting in uh, July. So that'll be a real exciting experience. Carson, um, yeah, I think you excited uh, as well? you know, yeah, the uh, social media world can be rough sometimes and unforgiving, as uh, Mary mentioned. And um, <clears throat> you know, I think even you know, being female and not to play the gender bias, but trying to get in the in the game, so to speak, is even harder for us. And it's nice to learn the backgrounds of how all these other females got involved and. Um, if, um, you know, we can reach a common line of communication and connection on something that we all clearly enjoy doing, which is handicapping and watching races. And uh, I think the more the merrier, hopefully um, we can uh, get a good group going and, and I think it'll be successful. Yeah, yeah so. We're looking forward to that. And then, you know, in the, in the upcoming weeks, we'll have, you know, more racing, more races to look at, but, um, ladies, I don't know if there's anything else that you're seeing coming up or I know we've got the Hollywood gold cup, but not much, you know, that we can really look at besides probables, but I think that'll be a really good race. That'll be coming up this weekend. Yeah, I think the only thing better than um, stakes races on Saturday and Sunday are stakes races on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. That's right. I forgot you guys have your long weekend this weekend because we're actually just ending ours. And so I have been completely out of the loop. I put so much uh, effort into the Black Eyed Susan Day and Preakness and my Woodbine stuff that I kind of have to take uh, a couple days and regroup and catch up on my rest and kind of see what we got going on now. So, but I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, um, next, uh, next uh, week, maybe suggest some topics, hit us up on our Twitter, social media account. That's right. And, um, it was so, so great talking to everybody and hope y'all have a great rest of the week. And thanks everyone for, for tuning in to the X Factor Racing. Good night. Thank you, everyone. Good Bye. Bye-bye.